1: Hello, welcome and welcome to Den Harpo den Ar en Ritual, a special series of this podcast is a ritual all about Sweden and a wizard's journey through that magical Nordic land. Before we get into today's episode, I invite you to take a moment to enjoy a nice deep breath, and if it's safe for you to do so, close your eyes. Now, whenever and wherever you are, there are important things you have yet to discover. These could be books that will blow your mind, friends or romantic partners who will become essential to your life, buildings you'll one day call home, and so much more. And these things, whether you're aware of them or not, already exist. Right now, in this moment, that book is sitting on a shelf, your future best friend is buying groceries, and your next apartment is occupied by a family who won't move out until September 2025. In the normal course of existence, we only appreciate the existence of these things after we stumble into them. But this podcast is a ritual. I'm a wizard, and we're here to think about existence in unusual ways. And depending on when you're listening to this episode, this pattern of experience might even be clearer to you than it is to me. You see, in this episode, we'll be speaking with River, a Swedish artist hosting a week-long retreat for artists and occultists in the Småland region of Sweden. My partner Lisa Ann and I will be attending this retreat. I'll be recording podcast content during the retreat, and Lisa Ann and I will record another podcast discussion about the retreat after we return home from our trip. So, if you're in my future, those episodes already exist. You could stop listening to this and go listen to one of those if you'd like. But for me, here and now, these are still uncertain futures, pregnant with possibility. The artists and occultists who I will meet at this retreat, who will become certainly acquaintances, if not friends, are as of this moment, total strangers. And this transformation from unknown to known is one of my favorite aspects of magic. So let's start with what I know. River is a Swedish artist whose work explores the spiritual realms of the imaginal, with a primary focus on the intersection of art and magic. She views her creative process as a ritualized exploration of the unconscious. The artwork is the artifact resulting from that process. While much of River's work involves images, drawn and digital, this retreat is also a creative undertaking, working with the medium of human connection. Just as the painter takes the complexity of reality and reduces it to what will fit on a canvas, highlighting the aspects they wish to invoke, In a retreat, one pulls away from the chaos of the modern world, increasing the odds of connection by gathering with the others who felt drawn to this moment, this time, this place, and this purpose. And retreats don't have to be physical spaces. In adolescence, many of us retreat to imaginal worlds, alternate realities created by comic books, movies, video games, authors, artists, and musicians. We find our tribe in those communities, and understand ourselves through the contrast, the ordinary world out there, and the secret magical place, which we pull back into so we can pause peacefully as we appreciate the resonance of certain aesthetics and define ourselves in the details that we are drawn to. The wizard I am in this withdrawal, the me I encounter in the Swedish wilderness, and the voice speaking at the end of these episodes are all things I was only able to find by stopping, listening, and learning from River, how to retreat. Hello, River. Welcome to Ritual Space.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: What is our magic word going to be?
2: Desire.
1: Desire. Ooh, that's a good Mm -hmm. one. All right. On the count of three, say it with me, everyone. Three,
2: desire.
1: desire. Why desire?
2: Um, I was gonna go with something else first. Mm. Um, that was kind of. Um, but the river changed more, course. Yes, exactly. You have to just learn to flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and um, I was gonna go with with uh, intuition first because I was like, that's very magical. But mm-hmm. then I just felt like, ah, oh, but that's a little. I'm not really feeling that, like what's behind the intuition. And I just felt like no desire is more heartfelt for me right now.
1: I think that is very intuitive of you to course correct like that. And (laughs) I think one of the things that is most challenging and kind of unexpected when you get into magic is figuring out your desires. If you're going to do a ritual and try and change reality in some way, you have to think about what you want. And that becomes so much trickier than I think it seems on the surface.
2: Yeah, it really does.
1: I don't know about you. I'm, I'm terrified of monkey pawing myself. Like whenever I'm coming up with a ritual, I'm like, oh, I don't want this to like backfire in some sort yeah. of cosmically hilarious, but frustrating <laughs> way. So then it's like, okay, how do I frame my desire in a way that's going with that flow rather than I want this exact thing, oh no, I got this exact thing, but it's horrible,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also love though how it how how it makes you really take your desires seriously, really explore them, really like think about them poetically, mm-hmm. and um you give them more space in your life,
0: yeah,
1: absolutely. How do you get in touch with your desires
2: That has been uh. A journey for me mm-hmm. to um, allow myself to do that uh, and to to allow myself to act on my desires because I was sort of conditioned growing up um, in a more sort of religious worldview to like repress that um, so that has been really wonderful for me especially with magic to really really Allow that part of me to become louder and um, external Mm -hmm. is how I've been thinking about it, that like, I'm actually externalizing my inner world, like for the first time, it was uh, a few years ago. I just, it really felt like, wow, I'm doing this for the first time. I've never done this before. It's really scary (laughs) and really wonderful.
1: So let's put a pin in that first time, and then we'll build up to it. So, tell me about the religious context you grew up in and what your experience was like.
2: Um, yeah, I'm Swedish, uh, so it was like a very, I guess, toned down version of what an uh, like a U.S. evangelical church would be and I can say that with some confidence because like the church that I would go to when I was a child it was like an American church that was just like imported to Sweden
1: mm. you had like a Jesus on a crucifix wrapped in a flag with a
2: trucker <laughs> hat on but that would have been that would have been funny like, <laughs> that would have made it more fun to yeah. go <laughs> to church every week
1: <laughs> Swedish American cargo <laughs> cult <laughs>
2: Uh, but so yeah, it was just like a kind of more toned down version, but but mm-hmm. kind of similar. And and also for me, I've I find I find that when I tell people that like oh I had a religious upbringing, it's like they you know people immediately get a picture in their mind of what that was like and like what I was like as a child. So I've I've come up with a different way to frame it. Mm-hmm. Which is that I was just like Nietzsche growing up, I took the scriptures very seriously mm. <laughs> I was a very devout uh, like weirdly devout child it was like calling out the hypocrisy of the church when I was I don't know nine years old <laughs>
1: oh wow yeah <laughs> so you were you were you were in it you're like I'm taking everything seriously and immediately seeing the disconnect between what I'm learning than the adults who claim they're taking it seriously but aren't. Exactly. (laughs) And lo, a child shall lead us.
2: (laughs) 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 And I was also this like annoying kid in Sunday school who would be like Oh, but so it says in the Bible that like, if you just believe enough, you can do anything. And I was looking at this tree and I was like, oh, so if I just believe and I was pointing, like my hand was like a magic wand. And I was like, oh, so I can turn that tree into a giraffe. Mm. And the, the teacher was like, well, yes. <laughs> and then when it doesn't work, it's of course like I'm the problem. Mm. You know, because I didn't believe enough.
1: That's wild that your teacher was like, "Yes, if you yeah, believe right? correctly, that is how <laughs> Christianity works. That you can turn trees into giraffes." Instead of being like, "No, that's not God's will, dum dum."
2: <laughs> <laughs> she was also like, oh, "I remember this bizarre episode where it was just like normal Sunday school, supposedly, and she was like, she she got out about got out a Bible." I was like, I'm going to tell you what happens if you ever attempt bibliomancy. Whoa. So there was this man who once said that he was going to do it. And he opened the Bible. And the first thing that came up was the passage about someone going out and and hanging themselves. Wow. So she was like, and then he had to go and hang himself so don't ever do that (laughs) that's a leap
0: (laughs) such a leap
2: so so i didn't for a few years at least (laughs) yeah so yeah it was um very weird
1: yeah extremely (laughs) weird so you're growing up with like This Because, I mean, you know, like, Europe imports Protestantism to America, and then America ferments it into, you know, hyper Mountain Dew Christianity. And then you imported it back and got this weird version where you're a kid and you're taking it super literal. And then you have this bizarre Sunday school teacher who is, like, (laughs) also, like, yes, Christianity is about turning trees into giraffes and, like, don't open the Bible at random because you have to do whatever
2: it says. Yeah. That was literally, I'm not even exaggerating. That was exactly what it was like.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So as you got older, because I think, you know, when you're a child, some of this strangeness can kind of be like, okay, well, I don't know what the world works. I was like shitting my pants and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: only drinking milk a few years ago. Like, what do I know? But as you got older, how did your experience of this change?
2: I was still taking it. Extremely seriously, because that was like the worldview that I Mm -hmm. had that was constantly being reinforced by the adults around me. Um, But I was like becoming more and more disillusioned with like the church. And I felt like they're all hypocrites. They're not Mm -hmm. doing what they're teaching. Um, And I was very, very preoccupied of course with like I don't want to go to hell when I die Mm -hmm. because like I'm not I'm not sure what it's like to try to imagine believing that when you're a child if you didn't but like that was what I was told since I was very young yeah I mean since forever Mm -hmm. um so I I was very like trying to figure out how to not do that (laughs) but like it's almost impossible because there are so many rules and it's like and and you know you can you can be forgiven for anything but not if you have sex
1: oh right
2: you know then you're just you're just screwed
1: yeah it's a very weird thing with christianity where there's this whole Mm -hmm. idea of forgiveness and like at the same time but don't do all these bad unforgivable things like
2: yeah but it's like like it's okay to like do financial crime or like beat your kids or whatever. Right. But like, don't, don't have sex before Don't be horny. That is the, yeah, don't be horny. Don't like express who you really are. Um, yeah. It's really, it's, it's really, really um, horrible when you really think about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, so I was like, um, I mean, at the same time, I was this like very weird, artsy, nerdy kid who had, like, I was very into my comic books my video games movies mm-hmm. like anything that would allow me to uh sort of disconnect from this oppressive reality mm-hmm. and just yeah. like go into my fantasy world and explore who I was really like yeah. when I didn't have to think about all of that when I could just like you know role play different characters and Just have fun, (laughs) you know, just like enjoy, uh, have an adventure, um,
1: I think those things are one of the places where you really see how limited and restrictive and kind of boring the Christian worldview is, is when you look at the media, like if you're going to choose between reading some cool underground comics in the 90s or like the Christian comics about the Bible that are illustrated, like one of them's going to be awesome and the other's going to be really boring. Yeah. And I think it makes it clear that like, wait, there's this, Forbidden world that is so much more exciting and fun. Like,
2: oh, the music's so much better over there. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, thankfully, I had access to all of that Mm -hmm. weird stuff. I'm really, that was like the best, one of the best things about my childhood that while I I had to go to church every week, but I also had access to these like really pulpy adult comics and Mm -hmm. weird movies and like, Video games and whatever, so I like I had access to so many different worlds.
1: Is that where you were exposed to uh, the occult? Was through comics?
2: Oh, through video games.
1: Through video games. What is the? What totally. was the video game that pulled you over?
2: Uh, I think it was. Uh, I'm probably it, there. Was probably something earlier, but like what I really remember is this uh, fantastic game very much of its time like it's a game from the 90s I think called uh, Vampire The Masquerade Bloodlines
1: oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
2: really strange and wonderful and I remember you could be like a thaumaturge and you could like you would explore all these like occult settings Mm -hmm. I mean it was just like it's, it's really really um
1: was that one of those kind of like point and click Games that you kind of navigate through and are getting clues and diving deeper into the world?
2: Uh, oh no, this was a sort of action RPG. Ah, okay. But I'm so glad you mentioned Point and Click because now I remember the game that really won me over. And that was, uh, it was called The, the Longest Journey.
1: Oh, I don't even know that one.
2: It was about, um, like, you played as a young woman who was living in. Like it was kind of like our world, but a bit sort of sci-fi-ish. Mm-hmm. So she was like kind of living in New York or something. Um, and then suddenly, this like portal opens up to the parallel world, which is filled with magic, and she gets Love pulled it. into there. and it was it was really wonderful. Um and I played that game when I was like way too young to understand the references and stuff. Mm-hmm. I could, like, I remember there was like one one section where you have to like um, or like you're talking to your friend and she's talking about how like her girlfriend put her in the dungeon in their basement. And I was Mm. like, I don't understand what that means, but they seem seem happy when they're talking about
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I think when we're children like someone told me once and i don't i don't know if this is true but that the reason that quote unquote music sounds better on vinyl is because there's these high pitch frequencies and low pitch frequencies that our ear can't really hear but they affect the way the other sounds sound and when they digitize music they just chop them off at this high point and this low point and so you lose oh. those and i always felt like as a kid if there was a cartoon that was meant for kids and kind of dumbed down, it was boring. It just felt right. lame and I like, didn't yeah. like it. If there was something weird like Animaniacs that had a bunch of Ross Perot jokes that I didn't get, mm-hmm. I was aware that I didn't get it and I like wanted to know more about this. It was exciting. Exactly. Like, yes. There's themes and there's references. Like what's going on here?
2: Exactly. And like I remember these like comics. Um, I think in the US they're called like eerie or something like that uh they were called just like plain horror but in swedish Mm, mm -hmm. it was like um and like they were terrifying and i didn't really understand what was going on but it was so exciting because like they were super realistically drawn and uh so yeah like when you're a kid you really want that stuff that is a bit mysterious and a bit out of your reach Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah, I I was, you know, uh, uh, in my late teens getting stoned and reading like image comics like uh, Grant Morrison stuff and Alan mm-hmm. Moore and the Sandman and all of that and just being like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> yes, like, <laughs> and those comics are so referential. So it's this whole world that you're getting drawn into where it's like mythology and comics history and all of these ideas are swirling together. Mm. Let's go ahead and pull out that pin we put in earlier. So, tell us about this moment when you kind of uh, left the old world behind and stepped through the portal into the magic world.
2: Well, it's going to be like a recreated memory.
1: Okay, that's fine. Um, I'm a hypnotist. I love recreating <laughs>
0: memories
2: because, <laughs> like, I'm I'm sort of just like Frankensteining together different moments into mm-hmm. one, and just like whatever comes to mind. Um,
1: That's called storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> <exactly. laughs>
2: um, so I'm sort of I'm picturing myself um, in this little nook that I had and I still have that I had like completely decorated with everything that felt like magical, mystical, cool, weird, cult. That whole like satanic like mm-hmm. total total environment thing um and i was very much on purpose bringing in a lot of things that i would have loved as a teenager so like i had a lot of sort of pop culture things that were things that i was really into when i was younger but i like i couldn't afford or i wasn't allowed to buy or like for different reasons didn't have access to and so i'm like in this room where time is like coming a bit bendable and, and, um, doing like sigil magic for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the way that I used to do it and sometimes still do it is like very sort of focused on the imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, uh, it wasn't, uh, sort of, uh, fluids and masturbation and all of that it was just more of a arts focused active imagination the classy way way. (laughs) (laughs) it was i mean i i like to do it the more sort of hands-on way too yeah uh but that came later (laughs) but yeah i was i was i was i'm in that room and i'm completely immersed in in this ritual that i'm creating for myself and i just feel like i love this so much doing this just feels like it it all just comes together like Mm -hmm. um and i'm trying to describe a feeling right now it's kind of but you know it was really like allowing my inner world to spill out onto a tiny piece of paper you know with the sigil And I think that's why I was doing it in a sort of like at first it was very much just using my imagination, very spiritual. And then as I got more and more used to doing it and and started to feel more and more secure in like externalizing my desires and my inner world, my magic became this more sort of a mix of Uh, more physical aspects of the ritual and and the the more sort of active imagination part Um, but yeah i remember that very clearly
1: well i think what resonates with me in that is if you think about you sitting there at this period of your life where you're doing this ritual and you're surrounded by all these images and objects and kind of totems that mm. meant so much to you as a teenager, in some way that magic is empowering those objects. And so it makes sense if you look at time from a, a, an orthodox perspective, that when you were younger and you saw these images and objects and totems, you were like, there's something here. <laughs> there's something yes. resonant. And it's because they were charged by that future you. Yes. and I think the imagination is such an important part of magic. I think often it gets dismissed because we have uh, a hyper-mediated world that says magic is supposed to be supernatural, shooting fireballs, doing all of these things (sighs) that are impossible, and then we create that standard, but we don't acknowledge that the idea of shooting fireballs and the magic that we're talking about is impossible came from the imagination, so it, it shares a common source.
2: Exactly. Yeah. For me, magic is all about the unconscious and the imaginal that that's, um, that's sort of how I think about magic is that I am, um, allowing my unconscious to like, for example, if I'm doing sigils or something, it's like, I'm giving this sigil to my unconscious Mm -hmm. so that my unconscious and my imagination can sort of take that and reach out into whatever is beyond me mm-hmm. and like make things happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was um, that was the interpretation that first resonated with me where I was like, oh, okay, there's this psychological model where I've basically slipped a note to my unconscious and said, hey, I'm trying to meet this kind of person or do this kind of thing and it's sort of steering me. And then I think the moments where something that happens that's even more mind-blowing are just what makes it so fun. I don't rest <laughs> my metaphysics on that. I prefer to rest my metaphysics on the psychology, but it's really fun when it breaks. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's, uh, that doesn't fit the model. Okay, well, that's, let's keep going. <laughs> so what happened after this, um, this sort of ritual moment and uh, moving to your more magical reality and letting out this inner experience that was so repressed during your childhood?
2: Uh, well, then I had to do like a whole lot of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I had, then, you know, I had to do the work
0: because
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. now I've opened the doors. Like now I've, I've set it in motion. And, you know, I think that's, that's like magic works when you dream about it and then you do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I like floodgates were open and I realized that there's so much happening within me now because this has created such a shift. Yeah. Um, Because the thing that needs to be pointed out when it comes to like growing up in a, uh, like a Christian uh, worldview is that you are conditioned to distrust your own thoughts.
0: Mm, Like mm
2: -hmm. you, you are not even, at least in a lot of evangelical settings, like even thinking something that doubts is a sin. Right. So you are constantly being taught to police your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And when you're being taught that from like a very young age, it it that's why it's, it was so hard for me to like retrain myself to allow my inner world to be expressed.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? because it's like it's like the difference between you were trying to maintain the boundary and keep that inner world out because if something spills over that's naughty uh oh you're going to get in trouble and instead yeah. saying oh i can actually go outside of the fence and go explore and see what's out here and accept all of it as valid and not um trying to police it like you said so well
2: mm. So, and like, that has been, of course, like the ongoing, ongoing struggle throughout my entire life. But then like, once I really started to do these, do magic, to do these rituals, like I said, this really profound shift happened. And, um, I did, uh, like in tandem with exploring what magic is to me. I was also exploring different kinds of therapy and like different ways to to help me work through all that was coming up. Um, so I like started with the sort of typical talk therapy, mm-hmm. I think it's referred to. And then I did some uh, hyp- hypnotherapy, which was That's really what I fascinating. Did. <laughs> <laughs> that was super fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then I went from hypnotherapy to psychoanalysis which Mm. was a a really wonderful sort of like for me the way it happened for me it was a really wonderful segue into that because doing the the hypnotherapy and and the kind of hypnotherapy that i did was very weird i don't know if it's a typical (laughs) way to do it (laughs) but it was very sort of uh, uh magical in a way and Doing that for like five sessions and then going into psychoanalysis, I had an experience of my unconscious as being very active, as having agency, as like being able to move through me and Mm -hmm. in my life. And so I would go into analysis and immediately just like trust that whatever comes up in my head, I'm just going to say it because even if I don't know why, I need to say it out loud and then I'll just see what
1: happens um yeah people do not realize how much they consciously filter and as a hypnotherapist i see this all the time where i'll be asking somebody you know unconscious for a symbol or a clue and they'll be like well i don't know i'm not getting anything i'm like well what's coming up They're like, well i keep seeing this like blanket that my grandparents had on their bed when i was a kid but like that's not the right answer and i'm like that is definitely the right answer let's explore that that is a gift from your unconscious don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Let's see what that's going to show us. And then it immediately opens up a vein of memories and we're like off to the races. And it's so funny how often people are like, I don't know, I got this insanely cool specific thing, but like that can't be right. Because they are trying mm-hmm. to fit it into the conscious paradigm where it's not meant to go.
2: Yeah. And I, I think uh, for me, it was a, it was a wonderful experience to sort of let go of control a bit and just like trust that... Um, like my my unconscious wants me to understand myself. Like it actually wants what's best for me. And uh, I also wanted to, to say though, because as I was doing all of this, I was exploring my own magic. I was uh, trying different forms of therapy. I was also like consulting with uh, shamanic practitioners mm. and so people who uh, were initiated into. Uh, uh, if, I don't, I'm not sure if it was hoodoo or voodoo or mm-hmm. I just, for some reason, for some reason, my mind is like one of not, the Afro diasporic religions. Not letting me yep. remember. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when I'm trying to talk about something important, it's like my mind sort of keeps the words from me. So, but yeah, it was, that was um, very profound because I had in those sessions, I experienced not having control. Mm-hmm. It's like all the magic that I was doing was all, I mean, as as I think it should be, like it was all coming from me and I was just completely following my intuition and doing whatever felt uh, right for me. But then in these uh, shamanic sessions, I was encountering something uh, that was like outside of me Mm -hmm. and uh, it was like a bit shocking at first, but then those sessions really... Uh, shifted things for me in extremely positive ways. It was so? like, um, well, I don't want to go into any specifics oh, okay. on those, but like, like I would be prescribed specific rituals to do afterwards, mm-hmm. and doing those, and I'm like, I'm getting lost in the memory of it, so I'm like, sure, lose, losing my words a bit, but um you know, it was like, it was, it was awkward. Like I had to go and find all these like weird plants and stuff, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that were like hard to track down.
1: Difficult homework. Yep.
2: Yes. It was very difficult homework. And it was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing. And I was just like so committed. Um, And the whole sort of preparation became a journey in itself. And then I did the ritual. And even though it was kind of like, awkward not as cool as it is in the movies (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like I did it and I think the sort of letting go of control um the sort of the physicality of it the fact that my body was involved uh, it wasn't just in my head you know yeah I just felt like it opened something within me Uh, and the reason why I committed to these rituals was that During these sessions, I felt deep down that I resonate with this. Mm -hmm. Like I don't understand it, but I really, really resonate. So I'm just going to do it and see what happens.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that idea of understanding is often so misleading because, you know, it's like you give people... Three colored balls, and you're like, pick one, and then they'll pick it. And then you can ask them, why did you pick that one and not the two other? And they'll give you a rationale. But the rationale is a fabrication. The conscious Mm -hmm. mind just spins stories to justify what the unconscious is doing. Uh, It's like, you know, the consciousness thinks it's driving the car, but it's not. And it's just coming up with stories of like, ah, I I decided to take a left here. When no, it took a left. You're just trying to figure out where Mm -hmm. we're going. And so, yeah, I think what you're saying is really interesting because I think a lot of people start with magic because it's that idea of control. Um, mm-hmm. I call it cheat code magic sometimes, where it's like, I'm going to make this sigil and then I'm going to get a better job or a hotter partner or this or that. And it's this idea that we can kind of control the universe and exert this power over it. And then I think most, but you know, not necessarily all, and it's not a you have to go in this direction. But I think a lot of people end up finding a mythology where it's about things that are outside of that conscious control and surrendering to that and working with forces that are bigger than yourself, including your own unconscious and imagination, which you realize is not just this like little tiny part in the corner, but is actually this deep bottomless ocean that there's an infinity within.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah, I completely resonate
1: with that yeah so with these themes of art the occult and uh psychoanalysis and more um you are putting on a retreat in sweden that uh my partner and i will be attending in just a few months uh tell us a little bit more about how uh this came about and your vision for it
2: It it was really funny how you framed that, saying that, talking about art, uh, art, magic, psychoanalysis, and the occult, Uh, because that was literally how it all started. I went to a conference that's called um, Psych Art Cult, Mm -hmm. which is about art, occult, and psychoanalysis. And uh, I was in Copenhagen, and being there was like, Uh, For me, it was the first time that I had actually sort of been in the same place with a bunch of other weirdos who were also into like similar-ish things that I was into. And we could like Mm -hmm. have interesting discussions about like, what does magic even mean? Um, And we could talk about movies. We could talk about, I mean, just all kinds of things. And it was so nourishing. And it was... Like for me, this feeling of like, because I mean, the way that I <laughs> grew up, I was like mm. the outcast, uh, like no matter where I went, I was right. like too weird for the weirdos. I was too uh, devout for the church group. <laughs> you know, I was just <laughs> like, I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, so it was really profound to me to just feel like, wow, I, I just this is what it's supposed to feel like when you're in like in community and it's good. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, I felt that I really want to experience this again. And I don't want to just passively wait around for someone else to organize something. Like, Mm -hmm. why don't I just do it myself? And, um, you know, that, that idea kept popping up. And every time it did, it just felt like, yeah, I should do this. Yeah. This this feels good. This feels right. And um, so I did. Like I just went for it. I decided that I'm going to host, organize, put together a small gathering, kind of like a retreat, kind of like a salon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to find a nice place, uh, close to nature, like just like beautiful surroundings. People can just like have a really good time and relax to like get some rest and just, um, like for me, some of like one of the core themes that I really wanted to accomplish was that like people can come and be nourished
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
2: from this whole experience.
1: That's a really beautiful way to put it. And I think, Um, The patterns that I'm seeing here are really quite profound of you grew up in an environment that was not nourishing and the external did not match your internal and you were told to purge your internal so it would match the external. And as you grew, you found things that resonated. Comics, movies, uh, this bits of culture that you were saying, wait, this is nourishing, this matches my internal more. And there's this kind of moment where it flips, where you're Mm -hmm. surrounded by the objects that resonated within, you're doing magic, you're connecting with them in this way. And then from there, you're able to explore magic, explore yourself, these different shamanic practices. And that leads you to an environment which is almost the inverse of what you grew up in where you're saying, oh my God, I'm surrounded by this external Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that matches like what I care about and I feel so empowered by it. And now you've taken that one step further saying I can let this pour out of me and create my unique version of this.
2: Beautiful. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) And uh, for the listeners, um, the psych art cult was created by Vanessa Sinclair and, and Carl Abramson.
2: Abrahamson. Yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, depending on when you're listening to this or the order that I release them, they are also uh, have been, or will be guests on this podcast because we do weird things with time around here. (laughs) But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be beautiful to be in this space that you've created and get to um, experience for myself. A lot of the notes that you've struck in this conversation and We'll be recording more podcasts there, so there will be layers and layers upon layers uh, as we as we move through this retreat together and flip internal and external in every which way.
2: Yeah, I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> what do you feel like you're most excited about with this retreat? When you close your eyes and you have your your vision, what what is it that stands out to you?
2: I, every time I do that, I just see myself in the kitchen and everyone is having dinner. Mm. You know, just like being at the table, surrounded by people that make me feel like I belong.
1: What a wonderful and literal example of that nourishment we talked about a second Mm -hmm. ago. (laughs) It's like literally feeding people with uh, your, your spirit and your vision. Well, let's do one of my favorite parts of this podcast, which is the spell for listeners who won't be joining us, sadly, in Sweden, but um, want to bring a little bit of your unique magic into their life. Um, What is a small spell or little ritual that people can do um, that you would think would be beneficial?
2: Hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, what we were talking about before about how I really intentionally was uh, honoring my inner teenager and like mm. sort of giving her some of the things that I knew that she really, really desired mm-hmm. but couldn't have um, so I think a really nice thing to do would be to like think back to something that you you really loved. That really gave you joy um, when you were younger. At some point, some other point in your life, but you couldn't have at that moment. And just like, see if you can find a way to indulge Mm. that. Like even if it's really childish, even if it's not something that you're like really into anymore, just like see if you can just indulge that a little bit, some way that feels feels good.
1: I think that's beautiful. And the what I would add on is feel free before you know you try and make this into some more complex ritual, feel free to just engage with who you were in those teenage years, because I think those are so pivotal mm. through the media that was important to you. Go back and watch that movie that you watched a hundred times on VHS when you were uh, you know, at home, or that album that you listened to a million times but haven't listened to in a decade, or go play GoldenEye and Nintendo 64 or whatever it might be and see what that stirs up.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, When Donald Trump won the election in 2016, I had to go to work the next day because I'm an adult and I have to go to work. And I was really messed up about it. I was like, oh my God, like, how did this happen? This is very scary. Like, ah. Um, And I remember this moment where I was, you know, just kind of freaking out and like not able to get any work done and just like, just stewing in my emotions and I was like 30 year old Devin is not prepared to handle this like he's doing a bad job you know who is prepared to handle this is teenage Devin who was a punk (laughs) anarchist and hated George W. Bush and saw the world and like you know, very much clear cut, good, bad terms and had a lot of idealism. So I put on like, I think like an anti-flag record, which I'd listened to when I was, you know, an eighth grade or a freshman, but hadn't listened to since. And it was so powerful. It really just like helped me be like, okay, cool. Yeah, rebellion, fight the man. We got this and just channel this different energy. That was way more helpful than my uh, early 30s anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, such a wonderful conversation, River, and I'm looking forward to uh, quite a few more to come. So, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, this was wonderful.
1: For more of River's art and magic, visit River Artifacts, which is spelled A R T E F A C T S dot com. River Artifacts. And for more of the magic that will occur on this retreat, that will happen in Sweden, and that will surround all of this podcast, keep listening to this podcast. We're moving through time, having experiences, and turning them into something that you can use to retreat from your regular world and find the magic that you have within you. So, come along on this journey, and we'll see you next time on... This podcast is a ritual, also known as Den Aren Ritual. Hej